Welcome to the Heart of Man with the Lions of Judah. We are your hosts, Matthew and Josh. Let us begin in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, you have given us Francis de Sale as a guide on the way to salvation. By his example and prayers, help us to trust in your loving providence and to follow your inspirations. May our lives show your gentle love to everyone we meet. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> so, welcome to the discussion on our identity as kings. Yes. Um, yes. So, also, just a quick thing with our household. Um, there are some saints that we, in particular, look to for these different masculine archetypes. And I've mentioned some of them before, but I just want to give a quick, just recap, I guess, on that. Um, so, for Beloved Son... Uh, Jesus is our masculine archetype for the beloved son since he literally is the beloved son. So there's that. Um, and then for the archetype of cowboy, uh, we've chosen St. Dominic Savio for his youthful zeal. Um, and yeah, his just unabashed pursuit of the Lord. Um, some would consider it reckless, but for him, it was just devout. And then for warrior uh we've chosen saint paul the apostle um just because it's the matured zeal of the warrior where um you introduce temperance and you introduce like basically he is after his conversion his whole life was suffering willingly he willingly took up a lot of suffering and um just the number of times he was in a prison number of times he was beaten near death and kept going um yeah yeah that um and then for the archetype of lover we have chosen king david uh just because it's his psalms and just uh he was a man after god's own heart and so we seek to be like we seek to be man after god's own heart um yeah he clearly saw beauty and sometimes he was seduced by it um but he learned and took chastisement and repented and did all those things. But yeah, either way, King David. And then this now for the archetype of a king, we have chosen St. Joseph, pillar of families. Um, and a big part of that is because, well, he is the, he's not the king of kings in the sense that Jesus is, but he is the, he as the father and leader of the Holy Family, he is the king of the king of kings. Um, not to mean that he has legitimate authority over God in the sense of supreme authority, um, but in God's uh, humility, he submitted himself to St. Joseph, as well as Mary. Um, but since we're talking about king, he submitted himself to the guidance and um, to be obedient to St. Joseph, uh, like a good son, you know, because Jesus, it, it, to me, it, you know, if he is God, it'd be impossible for him to not be a good whatever he is. And so since he is the son of Joseph, well, he's probably a good one. So, um, yeah. So that is where we start. Um, and we ended last time talking about the lover um, and King David and how um, he just wrecked <laughs> Goliath um, and how it kind of all goes back to the beloved son, but... Yeah, it's not just a matter of your passion, but a matter of actually loving, you know, someone actually being loved by your attempt at loving. Um, and so 
all of these things kind of amount to our identity as kings. Um, so yeah, just to go into that, we, so our, again, our three virtues are zeal, temperance, and humility. And humility is the bedrock. Uh, and you learn that, we talked about that in the Beloved Son episode. Um, but either way, humility matures. And humility, well, it doesn't really mature, it stays. Um, zeal and temperance, you know, excitatory and inhibitory, activity and rest, doing and not doing, right? Um, kind of guide us in our path, but it's humility that allows us to stay close to Christ. Um, and I think that we know like um, humility is a very, very, very important aspect of love. Yeah, I, you, in order to love there, you have to be humble. You know, I think a big part of being able to love is how humble you're able to be um, and how humble you are. And we know that um, in First Corinthians 13, uh, if you have faith that can move mountains, if you have this, that, whatever, but you do not have love, you are like noisy gongs and clanging cymbals and you are nothing. <laughs> um, and so that's kind of, kind of our aspect of like humility is like, if you don't have humility, like you need, <laughs> like that's just kind of how it is because without humility, you don't recognize God as God. You, th you begin to think of yourself as God. Um, you, yeah, and that's pretty much simply, that's pretty much humility is, is you recognize fully that God is God and you are you. And there's the correct relationship with that. Um, and so the king, the way that we see king is um, like, while all of the other things have like an encounter with something or some kind of activity, I guess, that's, and it's almost ha like it has to happen to you in some capacity. Um, the king now is a matter of your impact on others um, with the specific question of whom do I serve? Um, you know, who, what, what is my kingdom? What is my nation? Um, who, am, who am I leading? But specifically in this context, who am I serving? Um, yeah. Do you have anything you want to add? Um, <coughs> one thing I had thought of when I, I actually uh, had one thing I wanted to talk about about King, which I thought was really cool. Um, I kind of like the archetype, the narrative archetype in so many stories of the little guy or the orphan or the nobody um, becoming, you know, quote, the king, you know, whether it's a literal king or something equivalent to the king. Um, you know, so many of our stories, I, I mean, I'm, I'm actually struggling to think of one that doesn't have that, you know, like um, take something as cheesy as like Star Wars. You have like a nobody Luke Skywalker in the desert who is a whiny little boy and then he becomes, you know, air quote, the king is like the, the head of the Jedi, you know, and mm -hmm. it's through a process of growing and sacrifice mm -hmm. and suffering. Um, and then you take like the obvious one of like Lord of the Rings. Right, I was going to say that, yeah. Yeah, with like uh, Aragorn being a nobody out there in the wilderness mm -hmm. and rising up and becoming king um, through a mm -hmm. process of fighting and struggling and suffering and loss. Um, mm -hmm. And then you take even like Harry Potter, probably mm -hmm. one of the most diametrically opposed in a lot of people's eyes. Um, you have the nobody orphan um, who's, you know, you know, the odds are all against him. And then he, through a process of loving his friends, struggling, suffering, he ends up becoming, you know, kind of, quote, king. is like the protector of all, the savior of all. Um, 
you know, every single story that I can think of pretty much follows that pattern, whether the nobody is depicted in a single person or in a group of people. Yeah. Um, and I, that, that's something I really like because um, in, it's not necessarily a cold, hard proof of anything in particular, but what it is a proof of is that that um, process, that narrative, that story is embedded so deeply in our psychology as human beings Mm -hmm. that whenever we want to tell a story, whenever we want to elaborate on life or Mm -hmm. make art, that is what we go to because that's our most fundamental relational um, kind of subconscious Mm -hmm. thing is the rising from the weak and uh, mm-hmm. the weak and unknown to the glorious and, vir- and virtuous, mm-hmm. um, and I really like that. And I can't, you know, I can't help but wonder, you know, how much that narrative has kind of, and that archetype has kind of influenced um, our society, our lives, our um, our being. Um, and then I can't help but wonder what would happen, you know, when you purposely do not have that. And I say purposely because I think you almost need intention to not do that. <laughs> to not do that. And so, you know, I'm trying to, I, I can't right now off the top of my head, but I can't really think of a, a story that does not depict that in some way. Well, I think that, uh, to be honest with you, I think that's where, if, if <coughs> to include all forms of art, you know, I think that's where modern art is now. Yeah. Um, it's not. Like, uh, there's a lot, there's a, like, well, you have modern art in the sense of, like, abs- like the abstract modern art that you think of. Um, it's not really goal-oriented anymore. They're not trying to depict anything. They're trying to take the kingship and make it here and now. Like, that the weekend yeah. unknown is the kingship. Yeah. When it really, when it really yeah. is that. Well, and also, like, it, it's, like, so, with regard to the lover, like, um, like, the lo- an, an authentic lover seeks to uphold beauty. Right, beauty yeah. is the focal point, um, not for one's experience of beauty, um, but for the sake of beauty itself. But with modern art, you get it's disordered because instead of a, like depicting beauty through expression of self, it's it is beautiful to express oneself. Yeah, and that's disordered because it becomes narcissistic. And what has been lost? Humility. Yeah, it becomes about the self again. And I think that. Um, like with the king, um, <laughs> you, um, yeah, it's, yeah. So with movies, with movies now, um, I think we're beginning to see more movies uh, that are an attempt at depicting no good, no like good and evil, but yeah. just morally neutral. Yeah. Um, like the antihero. And if there is evil, evil is depicted as that which makes you give up the thing you want most. Mm-hmm. Or, and, and, like, that is evil. Right, exactly. Um, and so <coughs> I, it's kind of scary um, just to see that <laughs> because, yeah, it, it, like, I don't know. I'm just trying to think of, like, even, I don't know, like, the movie, like, The Joker. Yeah. Um I haven't watched it personally, but I would I have to imagine that there's not really a clear yeah, winner or like thought... king. It's just it, it, instead. Well, I think it's it's weird because instead of um, trying to depict anything, again we're glorifying the process. We're, we're overemphasizing the process mm-hmm. that it takes to to depict something, and so for ex- like 
it seems like we're overemphasizing conversation yeah. um, as opposed to, well, I don't really care to converse in and of itself. I care to converse about a particular thing that I want to converse about. Yeah. No, actually, you bring up a good point because I think Lord of the Rings, again, does a very good job of depicting the different types of processes and failures of the process. And so I have seen the Joker movie. At the time, I liked it just because it, I kind of got affected I don't want to say brainwashed, but kind of like I wasn't paying attention too much. And I just got affected by the sheer raw emotional side of impact mm-hmm. of what the movie was doing. But after, and I got into an argument with one of my friends one time, she hated it. I loved it. And I was angry at her for not loving it. And I thought she was just being, you know, uh, kind of a stickler about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but after I had time, I actually came to the conclusion it's, it's actually a terrible movie. Um, because of the message, it, it relies completely on emotional impact. I mean, it's a very mm. gross, very dark movie. Um, but the thing is, is it actually does go through a process. It starts out with the, it literally is about the weak nobody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's through his process of suffering as the weak nobody that instead of growing and being called higher, he actually retreats. He far- descends he descends farther into himself yeah. and it crowns himself king because then he becomes like this image of nars- of uh, anarchy mm-hmm. and he kind of becomes his own king, crowns himself. Yeah. And where does it lead him if not like a deeper turmoil? Mm-hmm. And so I actually think Lord of the Rings does a good job as an example um, depicting that as well because in the movie and in the story, you have Frodo becoming the little, literally the physical little nobody mm-hmm. who then carries the great evil and the suffering and the burden all the way through the story. Mm-hmm. And once he gets to Mount Doom, instead of like taking on the king, the true mm-hmm. kingship and throwing it into the, to the fire, mm-hmm. he gets to that final moment like Joker did and decides, you know what, I'm going to crown myself and my own and, the, and crown my desire mm-hmm. king. Um, he, you know, that, that's what's interesting is sometimes... You know, some people don't want to go through the process at all, but really you can't avoid going through the process. You're going to be thrown out into the desert anyway. But what's interesting is after the process, you can completely negate the fruit of that process Mm -hmm. by just reverting straight back to the beginning and Mm -hmm. saying that is the kingship. Um, And I think that that's what's probably so offensive to God in that regard Mm -hmm. is not only do you... um, not cultivate the fruit, but you go through the exact process you needed to, to culti- to cultivate mm-hmm. the fruit, and it's almost like you can't not do that. Mm-hmm. So it becomes at that point such an easy choice, or, or I should say, lack of choice, and that is kind of the irony of sin: is we seek to make things easier on us, but we're actually making it so much harder. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, and also like, like particularly with. Uh, so what what is it that a king possesses? Authority, like authority, is what makes a king a king. Yeah. Um, not to say like in his inner being, but like that's the the difference between a uh, you know like the like kingship. Well, at like, the end of the day, that's what people need a king for. Right. Exactly. The purpose of a kingship of kingship is a, is a, is for his authority. Yeah. Right. Um, but the thing though is that like. You could almost ask yourself, it's kind of a meta, metaphysical question, but do, do kings actually exist? Because there's nothing substantial about a king. Like, there's nothing, like, as the same, in the same way that there is about the lover and the warrior and the cowboy, like, there's something tangible there um, that, you know, like, there's adventure, 
you know, yeah. you, you, and there's and there's fighting and there's loving and all those things. Um, and I, what I find interesting is that the, the previous stages are all about receiving something. You're in, you're interacting with yeah. something, right? Um, beloved son is strictly receptive. You're yeah. receiving love. Cowboy is you are in a certain sense receiving adventure. Yeah. Right. Warrior in a certain sense is you're receiving the fight. And by that, I mean there has to be someone or something to fight in order for you to fight Yeah. Um, and struggle and sacrifice. Lover is, in a certain sense, you're receiving beauty, right? Yeah. And so why do we think all of a sudden that that changes with king? We have this idea that like, like to have authority over my life, I need to take. Yeah. I need to take ownership. Yep. Literally, what, <laughs> I need to take ownership of my life. Yeah, no. When in reality, it's you're, I need to receive ownership of my life. You're receiving office. Exactly, and exactly. And it's not so much authority, I think, as so much as it is responsibility. Because that's the more fundamental aspect. Because when you look at where kings came from in our society, they were the dominant leaders among tribal people. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that once the society grew, that's what society needed, is when mm-hmm. you have a tribe, you have a chief. Mm-hmm. Um, someone that protects someone that provides, some, someone people look to. You can see that in animals. Mm-hmm. The dominant male, usually the dominant male, the uh, physically strong or caring uh, creature is the one that they turn to and give, and the people, he receives authority because he also receives responsibility. Yeah. Um, but so many people see the kingship as nothing but the, resp- the authority. Mm-hmm. That they they that they have to take, like you said. So I find that really interesting. It's also more like the kingship. So much isn't a thing in and of itself. So much as it is, um, kind of a culminated, um, office. A of, culminated reality. Yeah, culminated reality of the other ones. Like once you've mastered the other ones, or so far have made it to a certain point in right. the other ones, you kind of, like, assume the mantle. Um, by receiving the king mm-hmm. without it being so much as like, okay, I'm no lo- like so many people have an idea of like, I'm no longer beloved son, I'm no longer cowboy, right. warrior, lover. I am now the king, whatever that means. Right. You know. Yeah, and I think that happens when you, when you have this idea of, I am <coughs> taking authority, I'm taking my place as king. Yeah. You know, and again, what authority necessarily is given or taken but it's not even really uh, real authority isn't taken um because like because this is when you have there's the two realities of there's two kinds of leaders um and there's different forms of one of them but there's two kinds and this is all it all goes back to your identity because if uh, back to like uh, probably probably beloved son of the heart of man when i talked about galatians in there's the two uh, two kind of um spiritual identities of heir and slave um if you an heir as a king is the rightful king right the rightful king and what did jesus say he said i came not to be i came to serve i came not to be served but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many so the true king will come for the purpose of serving the people right it's all about the people because that's what his purpose is to serve the people right whereas the Opposite, if your identity, spiritual identity, is predominantly slave, then you will be the slave lord, right? Um, and so, what does that look like? It looks more so like you, you're you're overly caught up in the authority, you're overly caught up in the power, and it's all about getting people to do what you want, right? And now it may, may come across as a good thing. You may say, you know, there there are probably 
Um, there, there are people who would seem to be good kings, but in authority, they are more concerned about getting you to do the good thing as opposed to actually trying to serve you mm-hmm. and enable you to do the good thing, yeah. right? Um, and so, like, one rules by trust and love. The other one ru- rules through fear and domination, yeah. you know? Um, and that can occur through manipulation. That can occur through outright brute strength. Yeah. You know, whatever it is that can get you to do the thing, that's what the, the slave lord will do. Yeah. Well, and like we talked about in previous episodes with uh, our society being so obsessed with um, mere experience, usually the experience of joy, pleasure, <clears throat> um, and that that is what we put so much emphasis on in society, that if you can't get enough experience in this life, therefore tragedy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I don't like that, um, because in a way you do make yourself a slave. Um, you make yourself obedient to something below you rather than above you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I find that really interesting, too, because uh, in, in relation to the king and what we talked about with modern art and people trying to bypass the process yeah. and just say that right here is um, the kingship. What they're really doing in the end is they become that other king, the one who rules by fear mm-hmm. or rather is ruled or by is, fear. Yeah, well, is, I think the slave lord... Rules by fear because he is ruled by fear. Exactly. The rule by which you are ruled. Exactly. And so your desire to bypass the process and cut straight to the kingship. Yeah. To hurt, you know, modern art, a lot of it is so lazy and cheap. Mm-hmm. It's because they're so afraid of wasting time to yeah. go through the process for quality that they're so obsessed with must have the experience now or else I'm going right. to lose something that they cut straight to the process out of fear. Mm-hmm. And then what they do is, oh, you don't think modern art is art? And then it's kind of an attack. It's kind right. of like uh, they d- destroy the beauty. They destroy mm-hmm. the standard right. um, out of fear and rule by fear. Right. And, and also, so, like, the reality, again, is if I'm trying to depict beauty, then that means I can do either a good or bad job, right? Yeah. But if I'm simply expressing myself, I can't do a bad job. And I think that's a big part of it is there's this feel of fa- fear of failure. Um, and, and we know um, – I'm going to actually make sure I quote the right one this time. It's in the gospel – it's uh, not the gospel of John, sorry. Uh, John's first letter. Um, it's 1 John chapter 4 verse uh, – um, sorry. 1 John chapter 4 verse um, – Oh, good. Uh, it's five. Um, four. Uh, okay, it is nine. Uh, verse nine. Yes. Nope. <laughs> um, 418. Okay. There is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out all fear. So then, love has not been made perfect in anyone who is afraid because fear has to do with punishment. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And then in and lo- 19, we love because God first loved us. Yep. If we, and then I just keep going for the rest of the chapter. It's not, it's like two more verses. If we say we love God but hate others, we are liars. For we cannot love God whom we have not seen. If we do not love others whom we have seen, the command that Christ has given us is this: Whoever loves God must love others also. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, first off, perfect love drives out all fear. Um, and then also we love because He first loved us. The only way to be a good king is if you're a good son. Yep. You know, because in reality, who, like, 
who is it that gives, strictly speaking, who is it that gives the kingship? It is the fa- like it is the fact that your father was the king. Yep. And the father bestows the the possibility of kingship in you well, as being an heir, <clears throat> as being his son. And that's what's so interesting is people try and when they cut the process and they try and ordain themselves king. Mm-hmm. It's because I you know I don't want to you know reach and assume I know, but like I my gut feeling tells me that it's usually out of a desperate feeling to belong, mm-hmm. if to, to for being. And in a way, they think that if they can ordain themselves king, then therefore they can have that being. Mm -hmm. Rather, they don't see the beauty in the fact that when you are picked, when someone, when you receive it, it's because you're an heir to a a kingdom. You're an heir to, you you are in a line that is chosen. Right. That is so much more meaningful and connected. Right. And broad than anything you could give yourself. Um, Something you said also reminded me, um, I actually like the very first words that John the Baptist says in actually the Gospel of of John, um, <laughs> ironically, um, is um, he says something. I'm paraphrasing, but he says, um, "I am not." He he does not. Uh, he, he's not. He was not denying, but he was simply um, confessing, not denying that when he said, "I, I am not he who whom you seek. I am not the Christ." Mm-hmm. I love that it emphasizes he was not denying. Because he wasn't saying, oh, I'm not the Christ. He's over here. It's more like he was confessing a truth, mm-hmm. a, a matter of being, that in his being, he is not God. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, like, that is a huge distinction for mm-hmm. us saying, oh, I'm not God. Mm-hmm. But, and saying, I am not God. Like, if that makes sense, if I'm coming mm-hmm. off and making sense here. You're, and one is speaking to, to the fact that someone else is seeking. Mm-hmm. But the other one is speaking to your actual being. Like, who you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, so... Like, hey, where's God? Oh, not here. Okay, cool. As opposed to, like, hey, where, are you God? Yeah. Oh, no, I'm not God. Keep yeah. looking. It's like, are you God? No, I am not God. And I actually really like, like that, because when you contrast that with the first words Jesus actually speaks in the Gospel of John, he says, what is it that you seek? Mm. Uh, and I really like that. And in in his last words in that same uh, paragraph are actually, uh, amen, I say to you, the doors of heaven will be open to you. Yeah. So, you know, he begins it with, like, what are you seeking? And it ends it with the promise of fulfillment of what you seek. Yeah. And I really like that, and especially because it shows you, like, he's foreshadowing what is given to those who mm-hmm. follow the king. And mm-hmm. it is kingship itself. It is yeah. glory itself. Yeah. So. And I, and I think that if, again, if, you, if the beloved son, if, you, if, you, if your identity as a beloved son has not been cemented in you, <coughs> right, then you will go through life perpetually looking for your identity, right? Yep. Cowboy, like, uh, what am I? I am my emotions. Yeah. Like, that is who I am. And we a lot of people do that without realizing it a lot of the time. Um, yeah. It's where our culture's at, in all honesty. Yeah, um, I actually... And then also... Sorry, you want to say No, something? go ahead, go ahead, okay. finish. And then the warrior, uh, what am I? I am what I do, right? Yeah. Um, and then the lover, oh, this deep-seated passion, that yeah. is the real self, yeah. you know? What 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 motive like what inspires me? That's what I am. Yeah, it's know? almost like I am who I am. I am what I desire. I am what I do. I am what I love, and then I I am king. Like right? I, yeah, exactly. And, and especially like with regard to king, um, like if you have a kingdom, you know, in in Catholic and Christian context, it's very easily understood that 
it like what what your kingship is relates to your secondary vocation, yeah. right? Which comes from the Latin vocare, which means to to call. To call, yeah. Right, exactly. So, um, s- literally, your kingship is given to you, but it must. It's it's like a magnet, right? Mm-hmm. It's not this thing outside of yourself, right? It's this thing inside of you, but that's called forth. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's called forth by he who knows you, God. Yeah. And so, um, I think that. And how many people, like, had these existential crises because they're, who am I? Like, what am I called to do? That supplants identity. It's not, it's no longer, like, who am I? Like, who am I in the context of who, like, who loves me? Like, God, right, in my identity. Um, But rather, like, ooh, like, who am, like, what am I called to? That is my identity, you know? And which is, and I think that that's what, so, and that's why I think, okay, so a lot of people say, well, why does the church ma- matter? I was just listening to, excuse me, <coughs> for those listening, I'm getting over a cold. Deal with it. Um, but anyway, um, I was just listening to another podcast and a priest was mentioning how a couple in marriage prep is, you know, they want to get married in the church, but they can't, they're struggling with the fact that they actually have to go to church. Mm-hmm. That church is a necessary thing. So many people identify with that, though. Mm-hmm. Of like, I don't know why I have to do this. Um, and something I've been contemplating on, actually, that what you reminded, what you said reminded me of that, is everyone on earth can identify with that the longing for calling. Mm-hmm. Like, where are you called? And what's so interesting is people don't understand that that's what the most fundamental identity of what a church is. What church is, mm-hmm. because the word church even comes from that. I believe our mm-hmm. word for church probably comes from the French, um, but. I know it shares a root with the Italian uh, chiesa, mm-hmm. which it means church. It's spelled similar. It starts with a ch. Um, that actually comes from the Greek, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is uh, ekkale, mm-hmm. which means to be called out of. It shares a root with vocation. <laughs> so it, it, yeah, to go to church, ecclesial comes yeah. from ekkale, which means to be called out of. Right. So when you're going, I mean, the church exists to be that thing to which calls that calls mm-hmm. you out of. Mm-hmm. Um, to calls you to where you belong. And I actually really love that because so many people now, like going, I really love, I think it deserves more thought too, the, um, what we talked about briefly of, you know, you are what you, you are what you are, you are what you desire, you are what you do, you are what you love, and then finally you are king. It's almost like people are desiring so much. You know, when I, I again, I don't want to assume I know everything or assume I know people, but when I look at our society, I can't help but feel like I'm witnessing one big identity crisis. Yeah. And it's when, you know, whenever, you, especially with the sexual stuff, people are so, like, they're longing so much for belonging and being mm-hmm. that they turn what they desire into their identity. Yeah. And that that's what's something that I think that, you know, they, a lot of people seem antagonized by the church mm-hmm. and un- antagonized by those of faith. And almost in a way, it's almost like, well, when someone who's having a major identity crisis is confronted by someone who deep down is rock solid embedded in their identity, especially in, in an identity that is something other than themselves, that always seems antagonizing and, and almost hostile because it's challenging you. And that's why almost in a way we come off as hostile to them. Mm-hmm. Is because we are calling them out of themselves. We're challenging them to pick up something and move upwards rather than trying to make heaven now, make the kingship now. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't work. And I, I think deep down everyone knows that. Mm-hmm. But they're so antagonized by the idea of that not being the case that they'll, they're actually willing to drive, drive 
themselves further. Mm-hmm. And in a way, what we're witnessing is actual hell, because that's what hell is, is looking at heaven and willingly choosing to drive yourself deeper away from it yeah. out of your own desire. And it's so immensely sad, but also in a way, I don't want to say, I, I almost want to refrain from saying it, but almost beautiful mm-hmm. because it shows like God reaching. Yeah. And like in a way you can see in that moment, God reaching to us. And that should be comforting, not antagonistic. Right. So. Yeah. And also, like, um, yeah, like, again, that calling, that reaching forth, like you're saying, um, a lot of people find the idea of, like, some people have this idea that that contradicts free will. Yeah. Like, oh, this is my destiny. In a way, it confirms it. Right. Because, again... If to, to, what is, to, to, like, if you are called to something, we all know this. If someone is calling you on the phone, what do you have to do to talk to them? Mm-hmm. Pick up the phone and answer it. Yeah. Like, in what capacity was your free will? Now, that being said, there may be a lot of things that, but not, there may be things uh, apart from the call itself that demean your free will. For example, let's say... Um, a particular person is calling you, right? And you recognize who it is and you're like, oh, like, let's like, let's say it's your mother or your significant other, right? They call you. You feel obligated to call them, to to respond, right? Um, and some people in that obligation feel a lack of free will because they're like, oh, I have to. Whereas other people in the context of a loving relationship say, oh, I'm excited that they have called me and I wish to answer. Yep. Right? There's that two responses. I have to and I want to. Right? And then also there's other things too. Like let's say I'm in I'm doing I'm in the middle of something. Well that's gonna prevent me from calling, or at the very least gonna put a, a a hurdle in the way of answering the call. Right? There's so many other things that impact answering the call that we confuse them with the caller. Yeah. And and then in the call itself <laughs> and say, Oh, there's all these other things that I experience while being called. Mm-hmm. That it, it necessitates destiny and I don't have a free will and I, I reject that and yeah. I am my own king. You know, like, and, and like growing up, if your identity is not in your identity as a beloved son, as a son of God or daughter of God, then you look to, oh, I want these things. Yeah. That's not satisfying. Oh, I, I'll do these things. Oh, that, that's not fulfilling. Oh, I love this. It's yeah. empty. Well, if none of those work for identity, well then... I will make my own identity. Yep. And that's where our culture is at. It's, it's rebellion against identity. I will make yeah. my own identity. It's well, like, no. You- <laughs> so many people are frustrated by that because with the free will thing, you know, um, when you say, oh, no, this actually is an example of free will, they're like, okay, well, maybe they accept, okay, I have a will and I can either choose like evil mm-hmm. and self, uh, self-appeasement and self-worship or I can choose God. And then they're frustrated because, okay, well then, why would God give us that choice when our desire is so easily oriented towards hell, towards evil, towards self-worship? You know, then, you're, then people are frustrated because it's almost like they're angry because free will doesn't include a, an enslavement to God's desire. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, it all, it's almost like they have free will, but they're not automatically oriented towards God's will. And so therefore they demonize God for that. Yeah. And it doesn't make much sense to me, but I can see why people see that because it, they, no, one, no one said that the free will wouldn't come with pain, mm-hmm. that choosing the good wouldn't feel good. 
Mm-hmm. And so when people realize, okay, choosing the good doesn't feel good most of the time, you know, then they're like, okay, well then how could God do that? Mm-hmm. And it's actually like choosing the good should feel good, but it shouldn't feel necessarily pleasurable all the time. Right. That's it, because of original sin. There's not, there, yeah. na- nature is not ordered. Heaven like, only feels painful because so many of us insist on hell. Mm-hmm. And, you know, until people like accept that, they're not going to get over it. <clears throat> and, you know, also, I, I, I forget who, uh, I think it might have been something C.S. Lewis talked about. Might have even been like in philosophy class. I don't know. Mm-hmm. But um, talking about how the virtue gained through struggle and the virtue gained through pain mm-hmm. and suffering will always be worth more and greater and more glorious than the virtue mm-hmm. or not earned through that. Yeah. And in a way, you know, um, I was actually, uh, Dr. Trabic from our philosophy department mm-hmm. was just on Pints with Aquinas mm-hmm. uh, in a two hour episode. I watched it. Okay. And it was really good. They were talking about Aquinas' proofs for God mm-hmm. that were not the five ways, mm-hmm. um, some of his other ways. And one of them is Aquinas actually talks about, <clears throat> excuse me, talks about imperfection in creation and in us being a proof for God's existence. Wow. Which is actually really interesting. And he elaborates pretty well on that. I actually want to learn about that more mm-hmm. um, and talk to Dr. Trabic about that more because I really like that idea. Um, but in a way, I like that because it's almost like <coughs> God foresaw, you know, of course, Adam and Eve choosing mm-hmm. evil. And instead of just resetting everything, he saw how he could take ultimate evil. And that's one argument I don't really like but, uh, because they, they usually like people will bring up, OK, well, if you know, the suffering argument, if you can point to the world and see one area where someone or something is suffering. And if you can say that the same amount of good could be brought out without that happening, then you have to say either God is evil or God doesn't exist. And I don't, it's, it's a pretty strong argument. I will say, I think it's a lot better than some arguments Mm -hmm. that people have, but I still think it misses a huge point of you're presupposing you can, you can know what good comes from things. Yeah. Well, not just Um, that. Again, what's missing? Humility. (laughs) There's a lot of arrogance in that. Yeah, there is. Um, but then also the other thing coming from that is, well, theoretically you would need the greatest of all possible evils to be turned into the greatest of all possible goods for the greatest good to possibly exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You'll need a Goliath to be as big as possible and David to be as little as possible in order for the actual goodness to shine through. Right. So it's almost like they want for to minimize the glory the, of God to be shown. They want to minimize the bad but maximize the good. And I don't think God thinks that right. way. I think God says, okay, I think we live in the greatest of all worst possible. Well, I, I don't want to say that. I think we live in a world that has the possibility of being the greatest of all possible suffering. Um, during our lifetime, mm-hmm. whether or not that actually happens, um, right. okay. um, for the sake of the greatest of all possible good actually happening. Mm-hmm. <coughs> and so I think <clears throat> how that relates to kingship is how we look at that mm-hmm. and how we look at our call to the good. You know, do we look at it as an arrogant self appeasement, mm-hmm. something that we want right now, or do we look at it as a responsibility to something higher than ourselves? Yeah. So. And and also like. With with that whole like something higher than ourselves, um, I think that's what a slave is is giving yourself over to something lower than yourself. Yep. Whereas, like, and that that's what the culture does in an, in an attempt to not be subjected to something higher, they rebel and say, "I will not be subjected 
But what ends up happening is they become subjected to something lower than themselves without realizing it a lot yeah, of the time. Yeah, and which also, is worse. Which is worse, exactly. Um, and also, like, I, it's so interesting how the desire to belong is written in everyone's heart, yep. right? And, like, it doesn't matter if you're Christian, if you're atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, Catholic, whatever you are. Because, why? Because, like, yeah, even if you look at the, 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 the people who rebel against the idea of Christianity, Catholicism, belonging, what do they do? They form a group. Yeah. <laughs> really <laughs> they, they create a title. They, they want to be known as, <coughs> as the community, <clears throat> this community, right? And, like, I think that's, it's so, so awful when you look to your kingship to give you your identity, you forget that your identity gives you your kingship. Yeah. Right? It, it, it's disordered and inherently disordered. And Well, like the difference between... To sum it all up, I think the difference between a king and a slave is whether or not you're oriented to something below or above yourself. Yeah. And I think, and I think that that sums it up beautifully. And then the footnote of, you're actually a fool if you think you can't be subjugated to anything. Right. Just try going a, long, try going a week without water. Yeah. Try going a week without consuming anything. You know, or like, however long it is, you'll f- quickly find out that you are subjected to something. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Who knows? Maybe we'll have another episode on this. This is a good topic. Um, I think it actually bleeds really well into Sage. Yeah, it does. Um, but like, yeah. And I was going to say one more thing. We've got to wrap it up, but I yeah. was going to say one more thing. Um, actually, no, I won't say one more thing. Okay. Uh, temperance. Um, but either way, uh, kingship is marked by whom you serve. Yep. Um, and the slave lord is in reality what you serve. Yeah. Um, if, if, you know, I think if you're, per- again, the whole idea of being personal oriented onto experience oriented um, and seeking to lift up as opposed to be subdued and like, mm. you know, all those things. Um, but yeah, and, and, and the reality, uh, just a quickly thing, quick thing, um, your authority over your life is made possible uh, only insofar as you are, you are united to Christ's authority, yep. um, the King of Kings, um, because it's given, not taken. Yep. Real authority is given and received. Yep. Um, so Again, it all goes back to, like, what are you doing? Are you praying? Are you reading mm-hmm. the scriptures? Are you going to, you like, mass, confession, all the things. Like, are you actually... Are you subjugating are you, yourself? Are you subjugating yourself to God, and are you receiving what he has to give mm-hmm. you? Because if you're not, then you're not going to be a good king. Well, we always you, have this idea that we're just going to wing it and that we're going to be fine, but you actually need to actively subjugate yourself. Right. And this idea that grace is this magical thing that just does something. Mm-hmm. Sorry, but that, that would be imposement on free will. Grace mm-hmm. only occurs if you do the thing because grace helps you to do the thing and enables you to do the thing. Yeah. But in order for that to actually happen, the thing must happen. Yeah. So, like, yeah, go do the things and serve those around you. I've always believed that free will really, and when it's boiled down, is the, the free will to choose to what you'll be subjugated to. Yeah. In a yeah, way. and that's what scripture says. Which so many people scripture hear and they don't like that, but it's a beautiful thing in the end. Right. Yeah, and that's what and that's <coughs> Saint Paul says about slaves of sin and slaves of righteousness. Mm-hmm. You know, um, but we must end. So, a pra- on a practical note, um, humility, pray, and um, yeah, just kind of look to your 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 authority is in your identity, mm-hmm. not, not your identity is in your authority. Yep. Um, so let go. So do what Christ says: let go and let God, as they say. Yep. <laughs> but. With that, we will uh, tell you have a good day and a happy feast day or memorial, whatever, St. Teresa of Avila. That mm-hmm. is today. Nice. Um, 
but this will not be posted today. So, ayo. It will be posted on Monday. Ayo. But, alrighty. Any closing words, Josh? Nope. See you next, uh, next week for Sage. Ayo. Love you. Bye. Peace out, Ghost Count.